This is a Reconstruction Radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com slash freebooks for a PDF download of this book and for many other great Christian books. Backward Christian Soldiers, an Action Manual for Christian Reconstruction by Gary North, copyright 1984, published by Institute for Christian Economics, narrated by Alan Bailey. Chapter 10, Subsidizing God's Opponents. Below-cost tuitions are the bribe offers paid to parents to send their kids to a politically alien institution, and unsuspecting church members are supposed to finance the bribes. When a Christian begins to consult the Bible and discovers the comprehensive claims that the Bible places on Christ's followers, he steadily discovers how many of Christ's opponents want him to finance rival callings. The most glaring example today is the government or public school movement. Everyone is compelled to support the spread of so-called neutral education, meaning the religion of secular humanism. The funds are coerced from Christian parents. Then, in many cases, parents are penalized for sending their children to a Christian school. The secular humanists demand that the Christian use state-approved textbooks, hire state-certified teachers, and teach state-approved curricula. If the schools refuse, they lose their accreditation or their tax exemption. In some cases, pastors and school administrators, as well as parents, have been sent to jail for refusing to comply. If you think I'm exaggerating, get some back issues of the CLA Defender, the publication of the Christian Law Association. Send a few dollars to the CLA Defender. The serious Christian eventually begins to figure out that he is being asked to finance his own destruction, not to mention the destruction of his own children. Not only is he being asked to do this, he is being told to do it on threat of imprisonment. And far too many Christians capitulate, though the ranks of those who won't are growing day by day. In other cases, the conflict is not clear-cut. Within the institutional church, there are rival positions. These rival groups can sometimes gain control of the church's various subcommittees or peripheral organizations. Christians can be found on both sides of a particular question. The problem arises when one group claims to have lawful access to the other side's tithes and offerings to be used primarily for the benefit of the group's activities and goals. Immediately, there are conflicts. Who gets what? On what criteria? For how long? Will there be quotas set up? Will my group be allowed to get into the other group's share of the contributions? Do they contribute to their fair share? What is a fair share? Have they been continuing over the years to give their fair share? Can we compel them to give their fair share in the future? What kind of institutional penalties can we impose if they refuse to contribute their fair share in the future? These are not hypothetical. Questions like these are always sources of conflict in any organization, including institutional churches. It should be the goal of peacekeepers to set up institutional buffers and barriers to such conflicts. 
Smoothing over conflicts is one of the most important functions of a price system. To the extent that churches ignore the price mechanism, they will produce more conflict than would otherwise have been necessary. Education. One of the obvious sources of conflict in any church is the question of educating the children. First, should the institutional church be involved at all? People debate this fervently. Second, how should a school be financed? Third, who will screen the teachers? Fourth, which students will be allowed in? These are hard questions. At the level of the elementary school, the issues are easier to resolve. The basic curriculum is fairly well agreed upon. The students should be taught the fundamental skills of literacy and computation. They may also be assigned Bible lessons. The debates between rival schools of theology are less intense or appear to be in the case of simple Bible stories. So the debate over screening of teachers is subdued and it tends to focus on teaching competency, that is, on the teacher's ability to compart seemingly neutral, agreed-upon skills. The higher we go up the grade ladder, the more likely we will find conflict. People don't agree about government, history, economics, sex education, and so forth, unless the school teaches only math and perhaps some chemistry and physics, parents will disagree. If the church is involved in any way, other members may be brought into the debate since their funds are involved. Finally, teachers may organize or the administration may rebel. It can be very ugly. The easiest, least wasteful way to solve this kind of conflict is to separate the school from the church while simultaneously adopting the policy of charging full-cost tuitions. If the church or churches want to get involved in a particular school, it will be possible only indirectly through financing scholarships for deserving children or families. The church can choose not to permit its scholarship funds to be spent in a particular local school if the conflict between church and school is great enough. But the price system tends to resolve the conflict most efficiently. Anyone who doesn't like the educational product needn't pay. He can shop around. Christ's institutional monopoly, the church, need not become tyrannical in areas like curriculum policy or teacher screening. Unfortunately, church officers in the 20th century have not been trained to think in such terms. The question of full-cost tuitions is not a chapter in a denomination's handbook for deacons, especially since the denominations do not have handbooks for deacons. So churches rush in where private entrepreneurs fear to tread, and the result is conflict. Higher Education if the conflict over curricula is heavy at the high school level, consider the problems of the college. I do not mention universities since I am aware of no denomination-sponsored Protestant or Reformed university. The faculties are hired for many reasons, but pleasing parents is low on the list, if it is on the list at all. They are hired because someone has earned a Ph.D. at some secular atheist university or because the administration wants people of a particular political philosophy, generally a philosophy not shared by the rank and file of the denomination's laymen, or because a department chairman wants a colleague who shares his ideological outlook. 
but conforming faculty philosophies to the outlook of the bulk of the school's financial supporters is not, by any stretch of the imagination, anything that a college administration intends to do. In a market situation, the seller of a service must conform himself to the demands of the buyers. If he fails to do this, he goes bankrupt. But the academic world has a shield against this pressure from the unwashed, tax-exempt status. If the college administration can convince outside donors to cover the deficit, then the college can teach what it wants as long as it can offer an academic degree which buyers believe will entitle them or their children to lifetime monopoly economic returns. Max Weber, the great German social scientist, was correct when he observed over 60 years ago When we hear from all sides the demand for an introduction of regular curricula and special examinations, the reason behind it is, of course, not a suddenly awakened thirst for education, but the desire for restricting the supply of those positions and their monopolization by the owner of educational certificates. What parents really want for their children is money, other things being equal. They want a white-collar union card. But who will pay the freight? Rich alumni, if the school is an older one, or a very prestigious Ivy League school. The federal government, if the administration is willing, as too many of them are, to compromise their morals and their theology and beg for other people's confiscated tax money. Besides, Besides all they have to give up, is the right to mention God or the Bible in the buildings constructed with federal dollars. The small price to pay if you're an administrator. Better a new gym and no prayers than no gym and the right to mention the name of God. First things first, you know. The Christian colleges have another source of funds, the denomination. They can continue to keep tuition levels low if church officers will use part of the money collected in God's name and the moral requirement of the tithe to finance the politically liberal professors in their tenured safety. Then the steady indoctrination of the students can continue, all financed by parents and church members who do not share either the political outlook or the tenured safety of the college's faculty members. The denomination ought to tell the college to charge full-cost tuition. Why subsidize a long-term investment made by middle-class and upper-middle-class parents for their children's financial futures? But what about poor families with bright children? Well, what about them? Why not set up a denomination-operated college scholarship fund with tax-exempt donations from those with money for the sake of the poor? Why must the college be subsidized directly? I'll tell you why, because the college administrators know that many parents would refuse to send their children to the Keynesian or Freudian-dominated college if they required to pay full-cost tuitions. They would send their children to other less liberal or less expensive institutions. The college administrators know that below-cost tuitions are the means of buying parental loyalty. 
even though the parents know that the children will be compelled to run through the gauntlets of political liberalism in the social science and humanities departments. Below-cost tuitions are the bribe offers paid to parents to send their kids to a politically alien institution, and unsuspecting church members are supposed to finance the bribes. That way, the college's administrators can avoid having to staff the faculties in terms of what parents would really want if they had to pay the full cost of educating their children. All the college administrators have to do is to convince a handful of church officials to finance the deficit of the college rather than set up a church scholarship program where students could take their scholarships to competing colleges, perish the horrifying thought. So the silent layman continue to finance the tenured political liberals in their positions of safety from parental demands. Conclusion. Is your church playing this game? If so, what do you think you can do to remedy the situation? And when? And if your denomination is financing another denomination's liberal-dominated faculty, then you had better make some changes soon. Just because a group of political liberals once earned PhDs doesn't mean that conservative laymen have a moral obligation to support them in their tenure-protected security. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His Kingdom.